um, he is a wonderful example for us to follow. Not a perfect man. Um, but his sins are gross. And his sins are, his, his sins are offensive. And so are mine and so are yours. And so it's good for us to look at David and see that it is possible, uh, even when we mess up, it's possible for God to look at a guy like David and say, he's a man after my own heart. That, that was God's take on David. That wasn't somebody else saying that. That was God saying, he is a man after my own heart. And boy, that ought to be our goal, for our heart to be such in, in such tune with God's on that, that we get God's attention. Um, here in, in 1 Samuel 25, David is fleeing from Saul. He's in the middle of his flight from Saul. You remember what was going on. He'd already been anointed king by Samuel the prophet. Um, you, that was a great story all by itself, isn't it? Where uh, Samuel goes to anoint David, and and uh, his father Jesse is just so sure that that one of his sons, his older sons, certainly not David, is going to be king. And, and David ends up being anointed as king over Israel. But that was a, uh, that was a preemptive move. By that, I mean it was not going to take place for a while. That was something, it was set in place, but it wasn't established for years so David is now, when you come to 1 Samuel 25, David is in the middle of his flight from Saul. He's got about 600 men with him, and at some point their families joined him, and um, they're moving through the wilderness. 600 armed soldiers following David. That, and that particular number, that, or that particular group of men, that is a whole other message all by itself when you read how the Bible describes them. These men were in debt. Uh, in fact, the Bible gives about three or four words that start with D in describing them. And it's all about choosing the right king. They were in debt. Uh, they, were, uh, they, were in, uh, they were rejected by uh, Saul. They were running from him. And they are a perfect picture of lost people who've chosen the right king and they've turned their lives over to, to David. Well, these 600 men are following him. And the event that we are going to look at tonight, you remember there were two times while David was fleeing from Saul that he spared the king's life. Remember that? One time Saul was in a cave. Another time he was sleeping out in the middle of the field at night. And there were two times that David spared Saul's life. 1 Samuel 25 takes place between those two times. He's already spared Saul's life one time, and this is where we're, we're at now. He could have killed him, but he didn't. And so now he is in harvest time, and uh, we're going to look at tonight at this idea, the analysis of an angry man. And you might think that we were going to talk about Nabal, but we're not. We're going to talk about David. David is the angry man in 1 Samuel 25. Nabal is what he is. And there's, there's not a lot we can do for Nabal. Uh, his, very knee, his very name means fool. And his wife, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. His wife even says to David, you know what kind of man he is, look at his name. That's what, that's what Nabal's wife said to David. But David, God's anointed. The man after God's own heart. His anger gets out of control here. And, and this is a good place for us to pause and make sure 
that we have our anger in check. Everybody deals with this. It's easy for us to get angry at the wrong things at the wrong time and express it in the wrong way. There is such a thing as righteous anger. There are things that we ought to get mad about. You can, you can be angry and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And we ought to be. That's the only time that we ought to be angry. When we're angry and in our flesh, boy, that can get ugly in a hurry, can it? Uh, I've been there. I don't know if you have, but I don't like it. Uh, so you ask yourself as we start this tonight if you've ever struggled with anger. There are some people that anger controls them. It's who they are. It's how they're known. Terry and I know a guy whose, whose wife said of him, he's been angry ever since I've known him. And that's just how he lives. He wakes up angry. He goes to bed angry. I hope that's not you. But you may know somebody like that. There are those people walking the planet. They're just angry people. And then there's those of us who we're not constantly angry, but maybe our anger gets out of control every now and then. Somebody said that anger is like a fire. It'll go out eventually, but, man, it leaves a mess behind it. And your anger may subside, and my anger may subside, but if we don't control that, if we don't get that under the Spirit's control, it will leave a devastated wreck behind us. Loss of relationships, and who knows what other kind of loss. Fire just wipes out everything. The, the thing is that the Bible says a lot about believers, about us as children of God, controlling our anger. We'll not turn there, but if you're a note taker, I, I listed the references for you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, it says there, be angry and sin not. We just talked about that, righteous anger. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. And then it's one of those Proverbs that has a but in the middle of it. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit gets riled up quickly, exalteth folly, promotes foolishness. Uh, foolishness. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Well, what happened in our story tonight is David was transgressed again uh, against, and he was not prepared to pass over it. And then the last one, Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. That's a good verse. How many of those verses dealt with anger and foolishness? Anger and folly. And we, need, we just have to be careful. So let's look tonight at David's interaction with this man named Nabal, who himself was an angry man. But it's David's anger we're going to pay attention to. And, and I think this provides a good, uh, it, it's a good opportunity for us to be cautious about how we respond when, when anger. Maybe you're not angry tonight. I'm not angry tonight. I don't know if you are or not. I'm not angry at anybody tonight, but I might be one day. And if I'm going to be, I want to be angry and I want to respond to that anger in the right way. David just, boy, he flew off the handle in this story. And he just about, he just about made a, a terrible decision. 
Well, let's jump into this. Start at verse, um, look at verse number one. This is a sad verse, but but it's how this story starts, so we have a good context for what uh, David's counselor, what happened to David's counselor. Verse number one of 1 Samuel 25 says, And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, and David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing among uh, missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, and they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told David, told him, told David all those sayings. And David said unto his men, gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, and 200 abode by the stuff. We'll stop there. Now, we're going to go to the end of the chapter tonight to verse 44. But let's stop there in our reading. You see what David's response was. He was insulted. His men were were embarrassed. They were publicly reprimanded in front of everybody. And David got insulted, and he was transgressed against, to use Proverbs' word. And his immediate response, get your swords, boys. And David strapped on his sword. We're going to look tonight at the analysis of an angry man, this this future King David. And let's see how God can caution us against responding like he did in a fit of anger, all right? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for David's story. Uh, Again and again, we see how you used him and how you corrected him, um, how he loved you. And Lord, I I know that he wasn't perfect and we aren't. So we're looking at this tonight and asking that your Holy Spirit would grab our attention so that we would learn how to respond better when we're transgressed against, when we're wrong or insulted. And Lord, I I know it was wrong for Nabal to do this, uh, but David should have responded better 
and we have all been wronged, and there are times when we should have responded better. So help us tonight to humble ourselves before you and see if David's story applies to us. And if it does, then, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, you would strengthen us in this area of dealing with anger, especially unrighteous anger. Bless your word as we read it and as we preach it and as we take it to our hearts and engraft it into our lives tonight. We pray in your name. Amen. Number one, David's anger considered. Let's talk about his anger. I mean, it's not hard to see. In verse number 13, he's ticked off. That's not hard to, uh, that's not hard to see at all. So we're going to look, first of all, at David's anger considered. And in those verses that we just read, you have the reason for David's anger. The reason for it. David's on the run from Saul. So he doesn't, he, he's not in uh, his home Bethlehem. He's not raising his own sheep like he did for his father. He hasn't put out a, a garden. He doesn't have crops to harvest. He's on leave from, he's on leave from Saul, uh, or, or not on leave, he's leaving Saul, basically. He's hiding with these men out in the wilderness. And there are two things that they were doing while they're on this flight from Saul, and they're running around the wilderness. Number one, they were fighting skirmishes with some of Israel's enemies. Now, when, they, when he talks to the Philistines later, he tells the Philistines, oh yeah, we're, we're, getting, those, we're getting those Israelites for you. But he's not. He's really skirmishing against Israel's enemies. The second thing that they were doing was not only fighting off these, these vagabond tribes or these raiders from other countries. The second thing they were doing, and David tells, <clears throat> he tells Nabal about this, they were a protecting shield for the Israelites. Those, those uh, sheep herders that were working for Nabal, they weren't warriors, and people would come in, try to steal their sheep. And, and David said, we were right there with them up in the region of Carmel. And, and the whole time we were with them, you can ask them, not one sheep went missing. We didn't take any of their sheep. We protected them, and we didn't take anything from them. So they were doing two different things here, and it probably took that second role where they're, <coughs> excuse me, that second role where they are protecting others. They had a, uh, they had a need. They weren't taking the sheep. But they did have a need for food. And as they went around the wilderness, well, one of the customs back then, and this might help you to get this, one of the customs back then was for those being protected, they would offer some type of, of crop or some type of, of some of their flocks to those protecting them. <coughs> Let me say, because if you... I don't want you to equate that with the protection services of the mafia in New York City back in the 30s and 40s. We're protecting this place. It's a good thing nobody's robbing your store, you know. That's not what this was at all. It was an act of gratitude that if you were there and you were making sure people didn't get, uh, that their crops or, or their flocks didn't get stolen, you would offer them something. And David says in verse 7, not one of your sheep, Nabal, not one of your 3,000 sheep or a thousand uh, of your 1,000 goats, none of them had been, uh, have, have been lost. So his request was not out of the ordinary. In fact, it was culturally acceptable. He is kind. Look at verse number 6 again. Look how he words this. He is kind. He is respectful. He says in verse 6, Peace be to thee, peace be to your house, peace be unto everything you have. 
verse number 7, he reminds them, uh, he, he makes his humble request there in verses 7 and 8. And he even refers to himself, look at the end of verse number 8. I pray thee whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. He didn't mean biological son. He meant, he meant somebody in subservice to you. He's being polite. He's being kind. He's socially acceptable. Everything about this request is a natural thing in this community. But instead of responding in kindness, and instead of responding with gratitude, verses 9 through 11 there, Nabal just is harsh, isn't he? He's He's harsh and he's ungrateful, and he even calls David's integrity. God bless you, Terry. Thank you. He calls David's integrity into question. Did you catch that? In verse number uh, 10, remember what we said David's doing during this time? He's, he's fleeing from Saul. Look what Nabal says about him in verse number 10. Who's David? Who, who's the son of Jesse? You know, this is what he says. There's all kinds of people out there today running away from their masters. Like David, who supposedly is a soldier of Saul. He's cracking on him. There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. David's just one more common criminal running around the country who's left and shirked his responsibility. What a harsh reply. Let me ask you a question. Just pause for a second because I want this to be practical for you tonight. Has anybody ever wronged you like that? Now, I'm not looking for testimonies. These are rhetorical questions. But have you ever made a very reasonable request and then just got shot down, not just rejected, but blasted for even making the request? Hurt. It was reasonable for Nabal not to stab him in the back with this. It was reasonable for Nabal to treat David with kindness here. David approaches him humbly. But boy, he just took a beating from him. There's a book a while back. It was written called, I think it's called Compelling or Compelled Quotes, Compelling Quotes, something like that. And they look at the, the guy, the preacher who wrote that, this particular sentence, was looking at how quickly David responded here. And he said, anger manages everything badly. That's a good reminder. Four words. Anger manages everything badly. It's poor grammar, but it's a good saying. I I would just caution you, when you're mistreated and you're hurt and you come up against an attack like David here, even calling his character into question, just remember, before you open your mouth and you respond in anger, anger is going to manage this situation badly. Anger manages everything badly. There's a story of Alexander the Great, who at that time, you know, had conquered the known world. But Alexander the Great had a very quick temper. On one occasion, his childhood friend and now serving, uh, now serving Alexander as a general, his name was Cletus. General Cletus uh, got drunk and he insulted Alexander one night in front of Alexander's men. It so ticked Alexander off that he grabbed a spear intending to, intending to scare his friend. 
and he threw it at him with all of his might, but he wasn't accurate and he killed his friend. Didn't mean to, but his temper had him so enraged and wound up, instead of throwing, I, apparently Alexander the Great was a, a good soldier and apparently, and he, he didn't mean to kill his friend, but in anger he lost control of his ability to accurately throw a spear and legend says he killed his friend he, uh, Cletus. And here's the truth. If we don't control our anger, what's going to happen? It controls us. If we don't control our anger, it controls us. Now, are you and I very good at controlling our anger? Probably not on our own. That's why we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. He already lives in us. And I, again, I... I don't care what your temperament is. God's spirit is greater than that. You can't just say, well, that, that's just my temper. And I'll go back and I'll, I'll apologize. But you can't keep going back and apologizing. That has to be brought under control. Well, David got wronged here. And the reason he was angry was this fool, this wicked fool, Nabal, insulted him. So that's the, that's the reason for his anger. And then verses 12 and 13, his reaction David has an immediate reaction to this rudeness. You know what I found about Mark Campbell? This is what I found about Mark Campbell. Most of the time, my immediate reaction could be wrong. In fact, I don't think I should ever react. I think react is not a good word for us. We ought to respond. There's a big difference between reaction and responding. We need to, we need to get that difference down. And most of the time, our immediate reaction when we are wrong, if we're going to do anything quickly, it's most likely going to be a bad response. So bite your tongue or do whatever you got to do. You might have to bite your tongue. You might have to put your hands in your pockets so, so you don't pop somebody on the end of the nose, you know. The reaction of his anger, what was it? Well, he's got 600 men, and he tells 400 of them to strap on their swords and he's going to take them and go to this farmer's house, this rancher's house. I mean, these guys aren't, they're not cowboys, they're not fighters. They're just a bunch of sheep herders. And he's going to take 400 experienced soldiers and he's going to handle business. You talk about overkill. But isn't that what anger does? Doesn't our anger, when we respond wrong, does, isn't our anger usually overkill to the situation? David's was, just like that, he says, gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. His reaction in his anger was absolute overkill. Again, we don't want testimonies tonight, but have you ever said something in anger that you wished you had never said? You ever done anything in anger that you're thinking, if there's any way I could take that back? Because no matter how hard I apologize, no matter how I seek my wife's forgiveness, I have still left a scar. You heard that story about the father and the son, and the son kept popping off in disrespect to his father, and he would say hurtful things to his mother. He was just a rebel. But when he was, when he was called on it, his son would, the son would apologize, but Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. Mom, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Finally, Dad took him out 
to the workshop. And he gave his son a hammer and he gave his son a nail. And he said, son, I want you to take that nail and drive it, drive it about an inch or so down into that wood right there. And he drove that thing down into the wood and he said, okay. He said, now I want you to, I want you to know something. When you say something mean to me or your mom, you're driving a nail into our heart. Now, son, I want you to pull that nail out. So he pulls the nail out. He had to work at it because he drove it in there a little bit, but he pulled it out. And he said, now you've removed that by your apology. You got rid of the nail, but that hole is still there. The hole's still there. The nail's been taken away. The apology's been made. Forgiveness has been granted, but the scar of that sin is still there. Look, it, it, you can say and I can say things in anger or do things in anger and we may seek forgiveness and apologize. That does not mean there will not be a scar there. Actions matter. Words matter. And David, David responds here by saying, and this is not, a, this is not uh, like in the New Testament where Jesus told all the disciples, go get a sword. That's not this. He is not acting in the spirit here. In fact, do you see anything in verse 12 or 13? Do you see any reference to the Lord in there? Is he seeking God in all of this? No. He's just reacting in anger. Aristotle said, it is easy to fly into a passion. Anybody can do that. He's talking about an angry passion. Anybody can do that. But to be angry with the right person to the right extent at the right time, with the right object, and in the right way, that is not easy, and not everyone can do that. Controlling our temper. You know, Nabal's response, as I said a moment ago, his response shouldn't have surprised David. His testimony was he was a churlish man. Did you use the word churlish last week in any conversations? I didn't. So what is churlish? Do you know what churlish means? This is it. He's hard to get along with. Does that make, does that draw? Okay, did somebody just come to your mind? Churlish. His testimony was, nobody gets along with that guy. He's got a terrible attitude. He's chronically in a bad mood. He is churlish. The Bible also says this about Nabal in describing him. It says he was evil in his doings. That word doings? Generally, in the scripture, it has to do with the man's work, a man's business. He wasn't honest in his business. He's got a terrible attitude. He's hard to get along with, and he conducts his business with a terrible reputation. He's not a fair man. Verse 2 says he's a rich man, though. It said he's very great. But that didn't make up for being hard to get along with. I don't know how it worked out. But his name given to him by his parents literally means fool. We'll get to that a moment in verse number 25. So David responded to this wicked fool who had a bad attitude by making a snap decision. And he tells him to to get his sword. Here's the lesson for us on, on this particular thing about his response, his reaction. Here's the lesson for you and me. We cannot control what others do to us. But we are in absolute control of how we respond to them. You and I choose. When you wrong me or I wrong you, you and I choose. Okay, am I going to respond in the spirit 
or am I going to respond in the flesh? I make that choice. I cannot control what people do to me or say about me. This will help you. If if you're crushed by what people say or think about you, you can't do anything about it. You can. You can do everything right, and people will say or think wrong about you. You can't do anything about it. But you know what you can control is how you respond to what they've done. That's your control. Am I going to do this filled with the Spirit? Or am I, as Paul said, am I going to fulfill the lust of the flesh? So the reasons for his anger, well, Nabal was being a jerk. That's not a Bible word, but it it fits. That's what churlish is. The reaction of his anger was wrong. He responded in anger by he was going to not only answer in kind, he was going to overkill this situation. And then the results of his anger. Drop down, would you, to verses 21 and 22. We'll come back and pick up the others. But in verses 21 and 22, it says, Now David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light, any that pisseth against the wall. That's a descriptive phrase talking about any man in that guy's employ. He's saying this. It didn't do me any good to protect that guy's sheep. I should have I should have ate la- I should have ate rack of lamb and leg of lamb up there while I, while he was up there with his sheep. I should have just helped myself. It didn't do me any good. But since I didn't, we're going to fix it right now and come morning every man that works for him is going to be dead. You see the overkill there? Those men didn't make that response. It was Nabal. It wasn't the sheep herders. In fact, we're going to go back and read in just a minute the sheep herders that David protected and now is threatening to murder. They go to Abigail and say, look, this guy hasn't done anything wrong and your, your husband just practically spit in his face. We're in trouble here. They didn't do anything wrong. Yet David says in verse number 22, come morning, all of his men are going to be dead. Well, the result of his anger here is that he's acting in the flesh. And have you ever known anybody that when anger took control, that they just, I don't know how else to say it, they just went out of their mind. Anger switched to rage. And that's what happens here. It is safe to say David lost it. One man says, we're not going to give you anything. David comes back and says, we're going to kill his entire company. All the people that work for him, all the men are going to die. David loses it here. And he takes these 400 men and they start making their way. Now, just just a chapter or two ago, He had the opportunity to kill Saul who was trying to kill him. And David didn't do it. David responded like a man of God should. But do you see how quickly he turned? Here, he's just full of the flesh and full of himself. And that's true of me and it's true of you. We can be walking in the spirit and led by the spirit one minute and in the flesh the next and saying things that we would never say. If David was filled with the Spirit, he'd have never said, we're going to kill every one of the men in his employ. 
but the anger just got control of him, and that's what anger does. Uh, it is what anger does when we act in the flesh. And he said, we're just going to kill them all. Someone said, a man in an angry passion rides a horse that will run away with him. We need to be careful to take a close look at our hearts. You might be thinking tonight, this, this, this message really has nothing to do with me. All it takes is the right person at the wrong time to say the wrong thing, and you'll find out. This is every one of us. Our old sin nature will flare up, um, and we will get angry, and we will do and say things we shouldn't do. David reacted here in anger when, as I said a moment ago, we need to respond. Not react, respond. Think it through, pray it through. Ask for wisdom. Lord, this, this has hurt me. And then, here's the hard part, then you've got to say, is this an attack on my pride? Is my anger an attack on my pride? Am I, am, I reprani- am I responding rather because my pride has been wounded? I don't like to respond like that. I just like to think they're a navel, they're a jerk. And they shouldn't have said that about me. But if I'm honest, I have to ask myself and say, is it my pride that's been offended here? And if it has, I need to back off of what I'm about to do or say in the flesh. Well, David didn't respond here. That's David's anger. That's his anger considered. And he's ready, isn't he? Can you see it? He is ready to fight right now. I mean, he's ready to go at it. Strap on your swords. I'm putting mine on as we speak. We're going at it right now. Thank God for Abigail. Not only David's anger uh, here considered, but in verses 14 through 31... Let's look for a moment at David's anger confronted. Here's this guy. Keep in mind, he's leading an army of 400 experienced soldiers against an unarmed, mostly an unarmed household, probably. Props to Abigail. She loads up and heads right toward him. David's coming this way, and she's coming right back at him. Verse number 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. The whole time we talked with them, we didn't miss anything. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. What a terrible testimony. Can I stop? Are any of you bosses? What a terrible testimony for a boss to have among his employees. Did you catch that? His employees are saying he's son of Belial. He's a wicked man. And nobody can talk to this guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. If you are a supervisor over people, don't let it be said of you by those that you supervise. You can't talk to him. Well, keep going. Verse 18, Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, 
and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the, uh, by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her or toward her, and she met them. Drop down to verse number 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, there it is, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him, but I, thine handmaid, saw not the young man of my Lord whom thou didst send. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, Seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Pause right here. We'll keep reading in just a moment. What she's saying is, my husband is absolutely no threat to you. He's not going to be able to stand against you. And so she says, I pray that all your enemies are like my husband. They are not a threat to you. Keep going, verse 27. And now this blessing, which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord as a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. She's talking about David every time she says, my Lord with a cap with a small L. Evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. Here it comes. That this be this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. Isn't that a great verse? Verse number 31. Look, when the Lord brings you into the throne, you don't want there to be, what'd she call it? Any offense of heart. You know what she's saying? No regrets. If you carry through this with if you carry through with this, David, you'll regret this every day you're king. But I've come on behalf of God and on behalf of my husband. I'll take his offense on me. Did you see where she requested forgiveness for her trespass? She didn't even know he, David's men were there. And yet she goes out, she says, Put this trespass on me. Will you forgive me? You don't want to do this because when the Lord God does all things for you and gets you to the place you're supposed to be. There'll be no regrets. It's her, it's her speaking. Well, let's, let's examine that real quick. First of all, in verses 14 through 20 that we just read, Abigail's appraisal. 
her appraisal of the situation. Nabal was a fool. She is, and I like the order that, that God puts this in. The Bible says she's a wise woman and she's beautiful. Not the other way around. The first thing that God wanted you to know about her at the beginning of chapter 25 in verse number 3. Now she was a woman of good understanding. She's a wise woman. Second, she's pretty. But the important thing God wanted you to know, she's a woman of good understanding. And boy, does she prove it here. She comes out and says all of the right things at the right time. And when she finds out about her husband's foolish response, she has an immediate, she has immediate uh, reaction to that, doesn't she? She knows exactly what to do. She gets the guys some food. All they wanted was food. And she loads them up. She kills some sheep, already has them butchered, sends them out, cakes, Two, it says two bottles of wine. You're familiar with the Old Testament, New Testament bottles, right? They're sheep, they're animal skins. These bottles are three or four feet tall. They're not the bottles of wine you're familiar with today. She sent gallons and gallons and gallons of this wine to them. All of these things she sent to her. She looks at this situation and she said, we got to do something or it's going to be a mess. And verse number 19 says this, she didn't tell her husband about this. She's not working against him. She's working for him. Now, a woman married to a man like this, if she had the wrong heart, she might just step out of the way and let nature take its course. Well, he's crossed the line now. I'm not going to lose my neck for him. But she doesn't. You know why? She's a woman of good understanding. She's a spiritually minded woman, and instead of working against her husband, she goes and works for him. But why not tell Nabal what he was doing? Well, didn't, didn't his employees tell us why? You can't talk to that guy. Go back and read about verses 14, 15, 16. Go back and read in there. He's not approachable for them. He was so stubborn, he's not going to listen. And that stubbornness is just as dangerous as being an angry man, and he was both. So she appraises this situation. That's her appraisal. We've got to do something here. Her appeal in verses 23 through 31, she goes to David, and six times she calls herself David's handmaid. Fourteen times she called him my Lord. She subjected herself. She came humbly to him. She came openly to him and honest. She was honest about everything. I didn't know your men came. My husband, is a, he's an angry man. We do have food. I know you're going to be king one day. Everything she said, she was right on. She's honest and open, but she comes here humbly, bows herself down. David's been offended. His men have been offended in her good understanding. She, she not just appraises the situation, she knows exactly what to say. And she told David, verse number 26, she told David that God sent her to stop her from murdering a man that was no threat to him. She puts this as a mission from God. She's preserving his integrity. She's, inter- she's in, uh, preserving his reputation. This murder would be a terrible cloud on his name. This would be a scandal, using one of today's political terms when somebody wants to run for office. This would be a huge scandal in his closet. 
that he'd murdered an innocent man. She is making here a spiritual appeal. And can I say this to you? She's a good picture in these verses 23 through 31. She's a good picture of the Holy Spirit telling our flesh, slow down. Don't take this course of action. You ever have the Holy Spirit do that for you? Sometimes the Old Testament prophet said, you'll hear the Holy Spirit saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Don't do this. Paul is going to tell the, Paul is going to tell, I think, the Corinthians, he'll say, don't, Corinthians or Romans, he'll say, don't quench the Spirit. When he's speaking to you, don't quench him. Listen to him. She's a wonderful picture here of the Holy Spirit addressing you and me when, when our flesh gets stirred up. So her, her appraisal of the situation, she knows they're in a mess. Her appeal is, I've come here on behalf of God. David, slow down. Would you, would you be, just for a moment, would you be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath? That sounds like the Holy Spirit. He calls us to respond like that. And in verse 32, you have Abigail's achievement. Thank the Lord for it. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent me this day, uh, sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. Her achievement was that she overcame David with her spiritual appeal. And she turned his heart away, averting disaster in his life. It was going to be an absolute mess. He's willing to listen. Sometimes our heart anger is so strong that we cannot hear the still small voice of God. Boy, it's dangerous. Check your anger. When you're wronged, check your anger. I know it hurts. I get offended like you do. I respond inappropriately sometimes like you do. Check your anger. We ought to be getting better and better at listening what the Holy Spirit says to us, especially if he's rebuking me. Especially if he's rebuking me. That's hard to do sometimes if that anger gets worked up. So David's anger considered. Here's, what, here's how we, why he got mad and what he did. Then it's confronted. Abigail shows up. And the last thing is this. David's anger conquered. And that's the last, the last several verses of the chapter. It says in verse number 32... Blessed be God that you that has sent you to me this day. Verse 33, blessed be your advice. Blessed be you, Abigail. You've kept me this day from shedding blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted and come to meet me, surely there had... Look, here it is again. Surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. If you hadn't come, this is how it was going to end. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. Abigail said to Nabal, or Abigail rather came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light. What a wise woman. 
But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. Let's stop right there for just a moment. David's anger being conquered. First, I want you to see the openness of David's heart. The openness of his heart. He backed down because he saw God working. And in our anger, look for God to be working. Look for us to be backing down. We, why would it have been wrong for David to do this? Why would it have been wrong for him to go and avenge himself of this? Well, you know the answer. Because the New Testament says vengeance didn't belong to David. He didn't have the right to do it. The New Testament says in Romans 12 verses 17 through 21 that vengeance is God's. He will repay. He may not do it on your schedule or my schedule, but he's going to take care of it. Don't respond in anger. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If David would have responded in vengeance, he would have been acting in the flesh. And you know what you and I both know? That never ends well when we respond or react or do anything in the flesh. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. There's nothing of any value in my flesh. And to walk in it just causes problems. Vengeance is God's. And if I take it, I'm not sinning against the person I'm taking vengeance on. I'm sinning against God. I have stolen something that is God's. Vengeance is mine. And if David had done this, he'd have sinned against God. But he had an open heart. He was open to the Lord working, and you and I should be the same way. There was an openness in his heart, and in verses 36 through 42, the operation of his heart. Now, Abigail goes back. What does she find? She finds her husband like Andy found Barney after Barney found that still. The Bible says he is very drunk. She's a woman of good understanding. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this to him tonight. There's no way this is going to end well if I talk with her. So she doesn't. She goes home and she waits till the morning. Wine's gone. He's sobered up. The Bible says she told him. And that verse that says his heart died in him. A lot of people believe he had a stroke. That he got so worked up about what she had done. When it says in verse number 7 that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. He had a stroke and went comatose, and 10 days later he died. This guy was so full of anger. But the operation that took place in David's heart, he went from strapping on a sword and going to kill all these people, and now he's ready. Now he's ready to let God move in. And if you know the story, and you probably do, and I don't think it was right, but he did it, David goes on to marry Abigail. When he finds out that Nabal died, that woman impressed that woman impressed him. She may have been the best wife he had. He had at least six. And she, he goes and he marries. It says in verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that, had pleaded, that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. God did this. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abel to take her, or Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, 
They spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. She arose and bowed herself on the face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Abigail hasted and rose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her, and she went after the, messer, uh, the messengers of David and became his wife. What an incredible story. This is the work that God has done in his heart. David sees the work and he says, I'm so grateful God took care of this and kept me from making a foolish mistake here. This is one of the reasons David is called a man after God's own heart. He stopped himself. He was confronted by Abigail, who pictures the Holy Spirit, and he stopped. He responded properly to God's call to turn around and do what's right. So here's, here's a thing for you and I here. No matter how strongly we think we have a right to take revenge against those who wrong us, it is never right to violate God's word. So look at that. And you're thinking, Pastor, this message isn't for me tonight. I'm not angry. But you will be. Somebody will do something. The right button or the wrong button, whichever, however you want to phrase it, is going to get pushed. May I remind you, it's never right for us to violate God's word. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to check our anger. So let's wrap up with some questions tonight for you before we pray. What has caused you to be angry? Well, I guess one question ought to be this. Are you carrying any anger? Is there something in your heart toward a person or toward a circumstance? And you've carried that anger, and maybe even by now, maybe it's developed into a bitterness. We passed up anger a while back. God took someone from you, you're angry at God. Or someone did something to you that was unfair, you're angry at them. Or maybe you're angry at a situation in your life. That needs to be confronted and corrected. People generally don't like to come to the altar anymore, especially after a message like this. I was talking to one of our church members earlier. He said, Pastor, he said, I want to go down to the altar, but I'm just afraid what people think. And I said, you know, back when I was younger, I said, the altar was a pretty common place to find Christians at the end of a church service. But somewhere in the last 15, maybe the last 15 or so years, Christianity has changed. And now, too often, we're worried about if I go to the altar, what's somebody going to think? If there's ever a place where you can surrender yourself to God and humble yourself before him, it ought to be in the house of the Lord. The altar ought to be a place where you and I are comfortable going. Now, I'm not saying all of that. Understand this. I'm not saying all that so everybody will get up out of their seat tonight and come to the altar. I'm just saying that when God works on your heart, one of the ways that you show humility before the Lord is to humble yourself before him. Now, I've heard preachers say all the time, you can pray in your seat. And you know what? You absolutely can. But when people in the Bible, Old and New Testament, were serious about God and something God was doing, you know what seems to be a common thread that runs through that? They are on their knees with their head bowed before a holy God. So it may not be this message that's for you, but I want to encourage you, church, when God is working on your heart, and you have an opportunity to respond, do not let pride nail you 
to the floor you're standing on. If God is urging you to do something, come to the altar and deal with that with before God. I told that brother that said that. He said, I'm just afraid what people will think. I said, first of all, brother so-and-so, I said, it doesn't matter what people think. Second of all, nobody's going to think anything about you other than God's working on his heart. And hopefully it will cause them to think God's working on my heart too, and I'm not, I'm not stepping out. David, David had this woman on the ground bowing her face down to him, calling him my Lord, calling herself your handmaid, when actually it was David that humbled himself. And he said, you know what, Abigail? God brought you this day because I'm in the wrong. And I need to stop. I almost committed an atrocity. And you're right, this would have been a blemish on my reign as king. And he blessed God for bringing Abigail. And he blessed Abigail for being willing to follow God. And he blessed her in person. Do what God wants you to do. We don't like to admit that we've held on to uh, some type of wrongdoing toward us for years. But you know what's holding you back in your Christian walk? It's just that. If you're holding on to something and you're angry at someone, if there's, if there's an, uh, a, a confrontation that wronged you and, and that was never made right, and I, I don't care how far back it goes, they might be dead and in heaven already. Maybe they're dead and in hell. I don't know. But you've never forgiven them. Let that thing go. Let that go and let God have, let God have full control held in anger doesn't do us any good. It hurts us. It harms us. keeps us from growing in Christ. I am so glad Abigail stepped up. Aren't you? I'm so glad she stepped out and David came to his senses and that anger, that anger, he, he backed right off and said, God sent you here. And for you and for me, God has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside you as, your, as, as his children and he's there to do what Abigail did for David. He's there to say, Mark, you better not do this. This is going to blemish your testimony. This is going to bring a reproach to Christ. This is going to cost you a relationship. Don't do this. And thank God he listened to her. And may you and I listen to the Holy Spirit when he does the same thing for us. Let's stand together, would you? Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for David. Thank you for Abigail. And I'm glad, Holy Spirit, that you chose to put this story in your word. We don't like to admit that our pride gets offended, but it does. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be responding in anger ever, reacting in a way that would displease or dishonor Christ. I pray that we learn from David's example tonight. Lord, if there are those here who maybe they've held on to something something in their hearts for a long time, and it's hindered their growth in you. I pray that they would make that right, whether it's with a person or a circumstance, or maybe, God, it's with you. Maybe they're mad at you for something. Whatever it is, I pray they'd get rid of it, and they'd watch you do a work of healing and grace and growth in their lives. Use your word tonight, however you see fit, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Would you hold your